Thank you for tuning in to listen to this sermon from the Ville Church. To find out more about us and our weekly scheduled services, please visit theville.church. What is complacency? What, how did you define complacency? I mean, we could all think of what it means. Uh, if you could put the first slide up, this is a definition that I came across. Complacency is a feeling of quiet pleasure or security, often while unaware of some potential danger, defect, or the like, self-satisfaction, or smug satisfaction with an existing situation, condition, etc. Self-satisfaction, especially when accompanied by unawareness of actual dangers or deficiencies. When it comes to safety, complacency can be dangerous. An instance of unusual or usually unaware or uninformed self-satisfaction. Complacency is, is basically, I'm good. Uh, you know, I don't think I need anything. But it's interesting, it says, it's usually unaware of the dangers around you. Um, Think about it. When I grew up, we had a sta- saying that ignorance is bliss. If I don't know something, I don't have to worry about it. But that's not the case. Complacency can just can enable uh, make us not effective in our Christian lives. God doesn't call us to complacency. But I thought about it. Is complacency mentioned in the Bible? Is there any re- reference to complacency in the Bible? I found one verse in Revelations. Uh, or I guess a couple of verses in Revelations. In Revelations, the uh, the, the angel that was giving the, the, the words to John told him to write to the churches. Uh, and one of the churches he wrote to was the church of Laodicea. And this was the words he wrote to that church. It says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, basically you are complacent. Neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus says, you can think you're complacent, you think good things are good, but I see you as you really are. And he says, because you think you need nothing, I can't deal with you. I will spit you out of my mouth. So the Bible speaks against complacency. But it speaks for what I think is the opposite of complacency. And that is contentment. Contentment, biblical contentment. In Philippians 4, 11 to 13, Paul speaks about Philippi- uh, contentment in his life. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Sometimes we get confused between the words complacency and contentment. We think that they both mean satisfied. Complacency, self-satisfied, contentment, satisfied. But it, it, it is a misunderstanding. To be content does not mean that we just sit back and do nothing, that we are satisfied. Excuse me. Okay. Um, with the way things are. Contentment does not mean that if you don't have a job, you don't seek a job. Contentment, being content does not mean that we refuse to get set goals, work hard, or dream big. Contentment is not tied to inactivity in our lives. It is tied to trusting God's activity in our lives. The word Paul uses for contentment literally means to be sufficient. Contentment is the attitude or mindset that who I am, what I have, where God has placed me right now, is sufficient to biblically fulfill the roles and responsibilities God has given me. That's a great difference between complacency. Complacency says, 
I don't get involved. I don't do anything. Contentment says, I trust God to work through me. But it's interesting. In this verses we read in Philippians, Paul said, I learned. That's an encouragement, that he learned contentment. It's not something that's just given to super Christians or just drop out of the sky for special people. It is learned. It is learned when we embrace what God is teaching us through any and every situation. God is teaching us to trust in him and to be content in him. He is teaching us that he has and will continue to provide for all our needs for the roles and responsibilities he's given us. He wants us involved in what he's doing, not just to sit back and let it go. There's a, a, a quote I've heard some years ago that really speaks to me when I begin to question, is God, you know, can he provide for me in the situations I find myself sometimes is this asking me to do too much? Uh, it says that uh, God's Spirit will not lead us where his grace cannot sustain us. If God leads you to be involved to do something, you can be sure that he will provide all you need by his grace. Going back to the message last week, I want to look at some scriptures that Jay read to us in 2 Corinthians. And I'll just read through them and then refer back to them in a bit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 19, it says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one regarding to the, according to the flesh. Even though we once regard, regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, verses 3 to 10, it says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way. So that no fault may be found with our ministry. We are servants of God. We commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger by purity and knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech, the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors, yet are true as unknown, yet well known, as dying, behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet make, make, making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Paul said he learned contentment. And as I read these verses, I think of what Paul committed himself to. He said, you know, he, he reads, we read about what he went through. Beatings, imprisonments, riots, laborless, sleepless nights, uh, he was slandered, he was treated an imposter, he was dying, they thought he was dying, they, they, they suffered, but they were rejoicing, having nothing, yet possessing everything. And I thought, you know, when I walk with Jesus, when, I go, when I'm in, the, in contentment, it takes me to places sometimes that are, are, are challenging. One of the things that I'm involved in, I'm excited about the job fair coming up, one of the things that I get involved in is career, career development for people, helping them find their way. And I thought if, if I was talking to Paul and he was telling me about his career and he told me about all this, you know, the beatings, imprisonments, and riots, I might be tempted to say, Paul, you might need to look for another line of work. This is not good. This is not agreeing with you. I mean, this, this work is, it could kill you, Paul. And I look back in Scripture, it did. But Paul was willing to give his life because he found his contentment in Christ. Paul was anything but complacent. 
And I thought, what, how, how would I describe complacency? What are some characteristics of complacency? And then what are some characteristics of contentment? Here are some I, I, I put together for you. There's many more, I'm sure, but this has helped me to think about it. A motto of complacency might be, I'm good. And so I'm good. I'm not going to get involved. I, you, know, I, you know, I might see some issues. I might see some things, but hey, I'm good. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need to get involved. Motivated by self-love. It's all about me. Focused on what I have in my hands or in my control. It depends on my flesh, my human nature. It doesn't depend on anything outside of me. Focused on getting what I can get. Self-interest comes first whenever I consider things that I might be involved in. Lives to be served. Asks, what's in it for me if I'm given an opportunity to, to be involved? Concern with personal comfort and safety. That's my, my, my concern. Will this endanger my personal comfort? My safety? I heard some years ago that you know, someone said God is more interested in our character than our comfort. Lives for today. Pleasure is high value. You know, if this won't bring me pleasure, if it won't bring me what I want right now, hey, I'm out of here. Complacency takes us there. Suffering is to be avoided. How does suffering help me right now to gain personal comfort, safety, pleasure? How does suffering help me? It's to be avoided. It leads to hopelessness, even fatalism. As I look at the world around me, I, and I'm not involved. I'm just sitting back, and I think, you know, it's, it, it's, it's going to hell in a handbasket. I don't, I don't need to be involved. There's nothing I can do. So I become hopeless and even fatalistic. And then it lives by sight. Only what I see. There's nothing beyond me, nothing beyond this world. It's only by sight. Complacency. And I, I find myself being pulled into complacency. Um, Next year, I'll, I'll turn 60. I know that's hard to believe. I mean, I, I, I look 30, I'm sure, but I will turn 60. You know, and when you get older, you think, hey, man, I've worked a long time. Let me just coast. Let me just, you know, rest and kick back. And, but God said, that's complacency. I'm not calling you there. I've got something for you to do. So what's the opposite of complacency? Contentment. How do we look at contentment? Contentment's motto from the scripture we read would be, I'm reconciled to God through Christ. The love of Christ controls me. It's not about me. It's about what Christ has done in and through me and will do. Some characteristics motivated by Christ's love. You know, the love of Christ controls me. Another uh, translation says the love of Christ compels me to be involved, not to sit back. Focused on what God has for me in Christ. Depends on God's spirit. It's not about not upon me, it's upon him. Focused on giving. It's about giving. Looks out for the good of others. Lives to serve. Ask what do you need? What can I be involved in what God's doing here? Concern with following Christ at any cost. Um, Kai and I spent, my wife and I spent many years in, in missions overseas, and I heard a story some years ago that some of the first missionaries to Africa, uh, they were concerned that they didn't know the African cultures and customs, and they, didn't, they thought that the people were, were not buried in, in, in the proper way. And so many of them heard that if they went, there was diseases they didn't know and sicknesses and dangers. And they could die before they came back. So to prepare to, to have what they needed there, to have a proper burial, they packed their belongings in a coffin to take with them. I thought, that's pretty sobering, to pack my belongings in a coffin, realizing this might be coffin, might be for me. Concerned with following Christ at any cost. Lives for eternity. Character is a high value. I'm living for Christ. He's building character in my life, and that's what I want. I'm living for eternity, not for here. Suffering for Christ is to be embraced as a way of growth. I grow through suffering, and I know that, and I want to embrace it, not run from it, not avoid it, 
but embracing is what Christ is doing, but I'm suffering for him. Filled with hope in Christ. It's not about what I see or what I can't see, but it's what Christ has done, and, and my hope is in him. And then lives by faith. And as I think about it, lives by faith is the antidote to complacency. If I am living by faith, I will not sit back. I will be involved because I'm in faith in, in Christ and what he wants to do through me. An example of living by faith in the scriptures, if you, if you know the 11th chapter of Hebrews, there are several people that mentions uh, living by faith. It talks about uh, uh, Abraham. It talks about Noah. Yeah, and then one of the, my favorites is Moses. In Hebrews eleven twenty four 24 to 26, it says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. If you know the story of Moses, during the time he was hidden from uh, the Pharaoh's people because they were killing all the boy babies. So his mother hid him and put him in a place where Pharaoh's daughter found him and took her to be his son. Uh, but so he said, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of God of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. When I read that, I just kind of glance over it, but I, I, I said about it, I thought about it one day, what does it mean he, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt? Uh, you know, Moses, was he, was he was in Pharaoh's house. He was Pharaoh's adopted grandson. He could have had anything he wanted. I mean, and so, but how much did he give up to follow Christ? How much did he leave behind? Uh, the next slide, if you could throw it up there. Do you know what that is? Have you seen that before? Uh, that's one of the Pharaohs. Do you know which one it was? Which one? King Tut. Yeah, we call him King Tut. His name was actually Tutankhamun. Okay. That was his death mask. That was put on him at his burial. He was also buried in a golden coffin. He only reigned nine years. And so the custom of the time was when the Pharaoh would die, they would put some of the wealth he had gained over his life with him to die. Okay. And he would, he would because they felt that after this life, there was another life. So he needed something to carry on. Even I've heard they buried some of the servants with him to go with it because they, he needed something. Um, but this is interesting because to kind of give you a picture of what Moses left behind, they found King Tut's uh, esophagus or his burial ground in, in, in perfect order. Nobody had disturbed it. And that's pretty amazing because after the fall of the Egyptian empire, uh, the, all the pharaohs Tombs were open for any robbers, grave robbers, and many of them were robbed and destroyed. But they found this in, in order, and they, they determined that this mask, this pure gold, is worth about a, one and a half million dollars. Okay, and then but they, all the things they found within his uh, burial site, the gold coffin and other things, was valued, or they said it should be insured for about $750 million. Okay. But they didn't disturb this. Why did, they, why did they disturb this? I mean, they were looking for gold everywhere. Why did they go there? A, um, a theory that's out there was these grave robbers were moving fast. They were getting as much as they could. And they knew the history of some of the, maybe the pharaohs, how long they'd been there. They knew that some had been there longer, was more wealth. 
And so they got here, and they thought, well, this King Tut, he was only around for nine years, so he didn't have a lot of wealth. The others had so much wealth. This was, this was not even worth their time. I thought, man, you know, $750 million is not worth my time. You know, and even at that time, you know, this, this mask, I mean, sure, I could carry that and get, get a little something out of it. It wasn't worth their time. That was the theory that's out there. There's so much more wealth. They just left that. Didn't bother with it. And Moses gave that up. He said, it is greater to suffer reproach of Christ is, is greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. You know, you read the story when they got out in the, in the desert. The people started wanting to go back. They thought it's too hard out here. God was not coming through or something. I want to go back. They left a life of slavery in Egypt to get out. Moses left a life of opulence. Even when he went back, I, I wonder often, sometimes if he went back to, to represent God and bring the people out, I wonder if they said, Moses, you know, we'll forgive you what you did. Just come back. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll set you up right. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of you. But Moses was on a mission. He left it. So I think when these children of Israel got in the desert, they said, you know, we left all this in Egypt. Moses said, you didn't leave anything. I left it all in Egypt. I left everything to be with you to follow God. He said, I consider the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What about us? What about us in our lives? When we walk by faith, God's saying, are you willing to really walk by faith? Are you looking back? Are you, wanting, are you not willing to give up what I want you to give up to follow me? In the book of Hebrews, it says, mentions several people through the book of Hebrews. And I I think about myself, what if my name was in the book of Hebrews? What would it say about me? You know, if it said, by faith, Tony, dot, dot, dot. By faith, Jay, dot, dot, dot. By faith, any of us, dot, dot, dot. What would it say? How would it show that we are living by faith? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted, you know, like I said, to go back into complacency. It, it's easier here. I know it. It's comfortable. But God says, I want you to walk by faith. Trust me. Walk away from that. Go where I want to take you. I wonder what it would say about me. What would it say about you? By faith. And I, I think about that. This talks about just one episode in Moses' life. What about every day in my life? Every day. I'm tempted to fall back into complacency. I'm tempted to see things and say, hey, I don't want to get involved, you know. It's, it's too much for me. God says, by faith, I want you to get involved. I want you to go there. I want you to be involved. And my fleshly nature says, no, I don't want to do that. It's a battle. But what I choose by faith. And then what will be said about me? By faith, this is what happened. What would have happened, you know, we can think, what would have happened if Moses had not walked with God? What if he said, no, I'm good here. I look at all my brothers suffering out there, but uh, yeah, that's, their, that's them. They, you know, God chose me to be in the Pharaoh's palace, and so I'm good here. Moses could have done that. It was his choice, but he chose not to. And so but what about us? Are we willing to walk by faith out of complacency into contentment? The world offers complacency all around us. You know, don't worry, don't be involved, don't, don't care what's happening out there. But God calls us to follow him, and through that following him, he says, I will provide all that you need, and you will find contentment in me. The question for us is, what will we choose? What will I choose? What will we as a, what will we as a church choose? What will we as a church choose when faced with this? Do we walk in faith, following God where he takes us, trusting him to provide all that we need, 
contentment in him or will we fall back in complacency because we make that choice. He gives us that opportunity to make that choice. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning and what you have led me to share with your people here. And I just pray that we would be committed to walking by faith. You have given us faith in our lives and you have stirred us up and you have called us to be involved in the city around us and the world around us. And, and Father, I confess that I fall back into complacency. I, I take the easy road out sometimes instead of saying, no, I want to walk by faith in, in my Lord. And I see the examples of Moses and many others who walked away from everything and considered it you know, of, of great value to suffer reproach for you. More valuable than anything that I could ever have in this world. And that's what I want for me as well. So I, and I want it for my brothers and sisters here in our church. That we would be people who by faith we walk with you. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.